Hello and welcome to Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, a podcast series dedicated to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a variety of media and focused on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors on how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. In this episode, I, metaphorically, sat down with Katie Eck to talk about teaching writing during the COVID pandemic. We discuss techniques for centering student access, adjustments to our own pedagogical practices, and the vital importance of Zoom animal appearances. Hello. I'm Sheila Corsi here with Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, and today I'm joined by Katie Eck. And we're here to talk broadly about the challenges and experiences of teaching through an international pandemic, particularly for instructors with chronic illness. Katie is a first year PhD student in the English department at SLU. Thank you so much for joining us, Katie. Hi, Sheila. Thanks for having me today. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Um, So I want to start by acknowledging how enormous this topic is and how many intersecting topics there are under the umbrella of teaching in a pandemic. Um, So I want to start by going back to the spring 2020 semester when classes first went online. Um, What concerns or questions did you have Um, or what questions did you wish that more people were asking at the time? Yeah, definitely uh, tons of questions, all the questions you can imagine. Um, But one of the major concerns that I had um, was pretty much for student well-being. Um, Being a student myself and knowing the panic that I was going through, I was concerned about how my students were doing. Um, And being on campus with them, I kind of knew them in their campus-related selves, but not really in how they are at home or wherever home might be um, and how different that setting might be. Um, And I was really concerned mainly for, um, again, their mental and physical well-being. Like, did they have access to stable internet, food, healthcare, etc. And that was something that gave me a lot of anxiety, wondering if they were okay. One thing that really helped with that was uh, Nathaniel Rivers created the um, 1900 kind of access survey that we sent out to all students, and that gave us a lot of information and feedback on where students sat in having access to technology, internet, food, etc. And I think that really helped understand a little bit more where the students were coming from to be a little bit more comfortable and answered a lot of questions there. That was something that was extremely helpful. And then as far as like logistics moving online, I wasn't really as concerned about that because my students use a lot of technology in the classroom to begin with. And our class is generally structured on a Google folder format or Google Drive format. So everything was already online. I obviously did have to change my syllabus a lot, uh, but my main questions and concerns were more for, are my students okay, rather than how am I going to do this? And I think part of that's maybe because I was more, um, I guess, familiar with some of the technology that we were going to be using. And the main concern was, are my students still gonna be engaged? Are they still gonna show up? That kind of stuff. Now, going into the fall semester, um, did you kind of send out that same access survey in advance? And did you find it was a different experience kind of sending that out before the class began versus kind of as a response mid-semester to more of a a sudden move online? Definitely. I did send it out twice before the semester started, a couple weeks before and then about the week of. And I changed it to make some edits to ask more questions about, um, you know, how do they feel about approaching 
Um, most of them are freshmen in my class, so asking them how do they feel just in general approaching the transition to college teaching online? Are they nervous about it? Are there things that I can do in the class that would be um, helpful for them in transitioning to online or things that they feel like they maybe need a little extra help with or concerns for using different technologies. And that helped me a lot. Um, I revised my syllabus a little bit, have spent more time certain days going over different technology, like technology features or um, different subjects. Um, and then at the midway point of the semester, I plan to send out a follow-up one with some different questions, but just kind of seeing where students fall, how comfortable they are, are there things that they're needing. Um, and I think that's one way to really keep engaged with them and also to make them feel like their opinion is um, wanted and necessary to helping the class function. Yeah, absolutely. I, I went through a similar process in the beginning of the semester in sending out a kind of first survey to my, my English 1900 students who are also mostly freshmen. And because my 1900 classes are medical humanities focused classes, one of the things I also really had to grapple with was how much to fold COVID into the syllabus, right? If this was going to be something that it would be really academically productive to hang a lantern on for the semester and really think about, we're really in the middle, right, of a, a, a kind of enormous moment in the medical humanities, but at the same time, this is a this is an international pandemic that is also affecting you know students' lives. They might have family members or that are kind of falling ill or have uh, like lost jobs, or they themselves might be concerned about their health. And so it's hard to balance. So one of the questions I did ask them was kind of you know how much balance in the semester would you like to spend kind of talking about what's going on right now versus kind of leaving it at the door when you come into the classroom if that's something that's already kind of weighing really heavily on your mind. So in addition to these questions about kind of access and, and kind of tangible needs, what was one thing that you realized needed to change about teaching writing? So this might be something that you were also thinking about continuing to be a driving question for the fall semester. Yeah, so one thing um, that I had to change uh, was really based on collaborative uh, teaching and writing and that collaborative aspect of the classroom. Previously in the spring and also in my future, well, previous classes and also my future classes, my intent is to do a lot of collaborative work with students, especially coming into college as freshmen and sophomores, giving them that opportunity to learn how to work together on a team for something like a writing project or a multimodal project. Um, and at the point that we moved online last semester, the students were just finishing up their disologoi, which is the largest writing assignment in the English 1900 um, course. And so the students had already done all their research together. They did their proposals together um, and had been working on editing their disologoi. So that was pretty much about due, but then I had to shift um, their coursework to be individual after that. And part of it was because I was more nervous about them worrying about themselves, plus then having to worry about their group members when everything was changing. Um, and I know some people were like, well, you could probably still make it work because you can still do collaborative stuff online. And obviously there's many different ways to do that. Um, but I did have to switch to asynchronous because I had students in all different time zones. I had some international students, so I felt like it was gonna be too much pressure to try to make them all show up at the same time. Um, and with that then, too much pressure to make them worry about having their group members show up and work with them independently, which is much easier to do when they're mostly living on campus and can create a time to meet face-to-face. -face. Um, and again, I, I know that that's possible to do, but I think in the structure of being in person and then moving online, it was more difficult than if it had been in a class where we started online and then did some collaborative work that way. 
Um, so that's definitely something that I had to change a lot of the syllabus for and also student expectations and my expectations of them. And then um, I definitely had to take that in shifting to starting online this semester, reworking what type of group work I was going to have the major projects individually. Okay, yeah. So what kind of this semester, what kind of group work are you having them do and, and what platforms or kind of tools are you using to help facilitate that? Yeah, so instead of having them do their major assignments, I have some smaller, more independent um, research and writing things that they're doing. Um, a lot of it stems around um, current event, like news article type of information. Um, the theme of my course is nature and ecology, so it's really hard not to bring in news sources when, you know, there's so many rollbacks and things are being cut and it's just chaos right now. And then obviously all the wildfires and the droughts and the hurricanes and pretty much everything all rolled up into one. Um, so by um, kind of interest, they were doing some group work in terms of finding resources and news sources and discussing those using the breakout groups function on Zoom to um, share information, to talk about you know what perspectives they can bring in in considering what to um, talk about in their disologoi. And then also in talking about um, what actually just is generally going on with nature and ecology, where their interests lie, how they can um, utilize each other as resources or share information. Um, so we're also doing um, themed groups on Blackboard um, and there's like a journal for each theme or like group of themes. So the students are putting their um, resources online so that everybody else can access them and they're able to um, utilize some of the same sources or use each other again as a resource for information. Oh, that's really great. So one of the things I often see being discussed between instructors or kind of in on online conversations on places like Twitter is, is how to kind of institute and work with uh, more humane and flexible policies for students while still maintaining general kind of course deadlines or outcomes. So in your experience, and you might think about this again in terms of what, what you did in the spring versus how you've kind of built your class this fall, what, what has been your best negotiation of that balance? Yeah, that's definitely something that I'm really uh, interested in and feel very strongly about because I also, like you have seen a lot of this discussion online and a lot of push and pull into how strict you need to be. Um, and my personal approach to it is that, um, you know, the coursework will get done there's plenty of opportunity for like university extension and all that, but we have to put the student first and their well-being first. Um, and right now, like with COVID, there's so many different collateral damage aspects of any part of COVID um, that you know any student can be affected by. And my general policy is usually if a student needs an extension, they need to approach me with it before the deadline and we'll talk about it and work something out. Um, but this semester, I'm approaching it very differently, um, going into it knowing that students are dealing with all of these potential topics or, you know, family deaths or illness or their own exposure to COVID, um, loss of jobs, et cetera. Um, so I have actually had a few students this semester approach me for various reasons. Um, and my opinion on it is that I don't need to really know the details if they're willing to talk about it and they provide the information, that's totally fine. I will talk with them and, um, you know, respond in whatever way that they need. But the, the majority of the time so far has been, you know, something about like an exposure, a family member or something in which turn, like in return, I ask kind of, you know, okay, so obviously you're dealing with this. 
the due date is X day. How many days do you think you need? Do you want to think about it for a few days and let me know? I want it to be a practical deadline and something that, you know, you're still able to continue on to the next assignment, but also you're clearly dealing with a lot right now. And I don't want you to be putting this first, which I think is the traditional way that we approach college education is like, well, you should be putting this first. It's just a really big, important thing, which it is. But we're also, again, in the midst of international pandemic. So <laughs> um, I've been trying to be as flexible as possible. Um, and one thing that um, I didn't even like before that I definitely for sure am not haven't used and don't use it now is this idea of requiring um, doctor's notes and things like that, which I know is a big part of the conversation of like the documentation and like being able to provide information. But for me, in my own experience of avoiding doctor's visits for the potential fear of costs and things, I can't expect my students to turn around and produce me um, a letter of uh, information about their doctor visit. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I definitely feel very strongly about this. I think being a student and an instructor, um, just because there's so many different factors that play in and you never really know what someone's going through and I don't think that we should force students to tell us the details of all of the situation you know the aspects going on or force them to go to the doctor get the note bring it back to us um again I apologize the noise in the background <laughs> No, absolutely. And I know that, especially now, kind of the process of getting documentation can be itself a risk in going into medical spaces that are by necessity kind of already kind of dangerous places when it comes to uh, being at risk of picking up COVID just by going, even if you're going for a totally different uh, medical reason. And that's not even taking into consideration, of course, insurance or uh, the cost of medical care. Um, I know one of the things that I really wanted to face head on in the spring semester was students who needed a, a needed an extension but felt too embarrassed to tell me. And I know that there's a really bad rep around the kind of slightly callous joke about kind of students having multiple right grandparents die right um, around that time. And I think not making students tell me kind of why they needed this extension, all they would have to say is, hey, you know, for this semester, like I need an extra couple days, right? Can I get you this this time? is that they often, instead of trying to offer what they thought might be an institutionally acceptable reason, right, for them to miss an assignment, if they were kind of uh, felt embarrassed about or were worried about disclosing that to me, that that wasn't a, a kind of song and dance that we had to do, um, that we could just have a conversation and say, I need this extension. And I would, you know, most of the time say, yes, absolutely, you can have this. Um, and you don't have to uh, disclose to me the personal or familial or medical reasons why you might need this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point, especially kind of that that bad rep about asking, especially like as a grad student, like I, there have been a couple times where like I probably should have asked for the extension, but I was too nervous about it and I wasn't exactly sure how my professor might respond. So I think if we approach these issues within the classroom kind of more flexible or like a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more open, I think students will then feel more comfortable in general in the classroom as well. And I know that um, kind of comfortability in the classroom and setting up that rapport is something that is a struggle in online classrooms and something that's a big topic in um, the online discussion. 
of teaching online and teaching virtually. Um, and I think that's an additional way to kind of push past that boundary and let students know you actually care about them as a person because you're giving them this opportunity um, without requiring them to, you know, do a song and a dance to tell you why they need it. Yeah, and, and to kind of respond to that statement. So my next question is, is definitely thinking about, you know, how what we're doing now might permanently change kind of our classroom practice on the road forward. So in your opinion, what are some things that we should permanently continue doing when it comes to classroom practice fueled by uh, COVID, right? How do we, how do we uh, take the best of what we've done to adjust um, and kind of use it to, to move our way forward? Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of those things just like briefly, but I think, again, acknowledging the um, like the flexibility that's needed moving forward. I feel like there's been a history of kind of like, I have my syllabus, I have what I'm going to teach, my students show up on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at this time, and we'll just kind of go from there, and it's very procedural. Um, but I think having this flexibility with students and also with the material so that if something were to happen, you know, we can change our syllabus um, to like you did for your medical humanities course to, you know, bring some current event and some um, issues that are directly affecting students into the classroom. Um, I think that's something that we definitely should be spending more time on. And earlier when we were talking about um, what were things that we kind of wished that people were asking, you know, I think that's something that we should be asking, like, how do we um, create these dialogues between whatever the standard information on our syllabus is that we're teaching, plus whatever's going on in the lives of our students and in, you know, general in the news, how are, how are they impacted by that and how we can um, bring that into the classroom in ways to write about it or in ways to argue about it using rhetoric, um, things like that. I think also um, just kind of investing more time getting to know students is something that we all know when we go into a classroom that we have to do that, but I think it's a little bit more natural to some people and in the face-to-face the -face setting it can be a little bit more natural and it's something that you definitely have to put in a bit more of effort um, in virtual classrooms, especially because sometimes you have a student who may not have access to a camera and you may not see them uh, you may not see their face all semester, or um, you may not hear their voice if they don't have a microphone. And, you know, finding other ways to go about uh, making that student feel um, seen or heard or as a part of the classroom, I think is really important and something that we probably don't spend enough time on when we're in the classroom in general. Um, so I definitely think the flexibility and the um, time and effort getting to know students would definitely be something that's helpful. Um, with that, obviously, we've all been challenged to learn new technology um, and <laughs> new um, like apps or um, online resources. That's definitely been something um, that has been a little bit challenging for me um, right off the bat. I mean, I like I said, I use Google Drive and things like that, but a lot of the stuff that we're using now is new to me. Um, and I know it was new to a lot of the um, faculty in the English department and other departments at SLU. Um, and I think just being able to approach the classroom um, at the beginning of the semester thinking, you know, what resources can I use and what can I use besides PowerPoint that <laughs> will not only, you know, get the information to the students, but um, maybe be interactive for the students to use or um, be something that I can model for students to then later use in their multimodal projects. Um, and one thing to mention with um, all of this technology and stuff is making sure, like you said, the accessibility, um, making things, making sure things are accessible 
one thing I hadn't realized before moving online was that my PDFs were just like kind of medium quality scans and they weren't really, um, they hadn't been OCR'd or, you know, processed so that they can be used by um, like uh, reading software or assistive technology um, or even just using across various different computer platforms. Um, that was something I wasn't even aware that I was providing my students with these PDFs that weren't fully usable. Um, and so I think just taking the time to kind of look at the resources we're providing, you know, whether it's paper or technology and making sure that what we're giving them is accessible or, um, you know, if we give it to them in person, maybe also putting a copy online for people who maybe want to edit it on their computer or, you know, make notes and annotate. Um, but yeah, those are definitely some things. Um, I know the Compass Lab is really good at providing access to the software and the technology that students have been using. Um, and I think that um, the Compass Lab is a really great resource for students even in COVID because you guys have kind of adapted the website and the um, availability of materials for students so that they can still access certain things or use certain equipment to do their multimodal projects. Um, and that's something that I think I need to do more in my own classroom going forward is, again, kind of reassessing what technology I'm using and modeling more of that technology for the students. Yeah, and that's an ongoing challenge for the lab as well, thinking about not only kind of what do we have that we can access students, but how um, can we offer options both for students who are totally remote and students who can come into the physical space at the lab, you know, especially if they are working in a group, right? If you have students who can access uh, the physical space and students who are remote, uh, what platforms can they use to work together? Um, or what platforms can we offer students who are totally remote that aren't going to um, bring up questions, right, of, of access, right, of, of cost, right? We have to make sure that these are not these are programs that they can access without kind of paying a subscription fee or things like that. Yeah, and I think to bring it back to, I think the 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 example of providing OCR and PDFs is like such a great example because I've also been using um, Hypothesis, the um, annotation software in my Blackboard course that's integrated into the LMS of Blackboard, and uh, that was mostly my my desire to get around using the discussion section of Blackboard, which I'm not a huge fan of, and have students kind of annotate and directly have a conversation in the text, um, but. But yes, it's also made me so aware of how valuable that is for students, like students who use screen readers, right, or want to be able to um, annotate or copy and paste things from the text. You know, I'm often working with older texts, you know, as a, as a medievalist, early modernist who, who often assigns kind of older texts and the, the ability to um, kind of work within that text and not just have it as a kind of blurry photograph is as absolutely a question of access we need to be, we need to be thinking about moving forward. I also want to, since part of the kind of focus for this episode is thinking about particularly teaching in a pandemic um, through the viewpoint of students or instructors, right, who are trying to navigate this and coming, uh, and coming semesters while living with chronic illness, I was wondering if you had kind of practical advice or things we should be thinking about um, as we move forward? Yeah, definitely. I think um, this is something that really stressed me out probably the most in moving online and as a student and a like instructor. Um, and just kind of worried about the actual, you know, spread of the virus. And then you're taking into consideration your own, the own status of your health um, and quarantining and then all of the kind of, uh, issues that stem from there. But then, like you said earlier, like being kind of worried about going to the doctor, um, because then that's more potential for exposure. Um, I think it's been uh, definitely very challenging, um, especially because for my own issues, I kind of deal with them a lot by um, 
doing like a healthy amount of exercise and like getting enough sleep and sleep is definitely directly affected by a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, and then, you know, adjusting your exercise or your activity to what you can do at home or, um, I've kind of like, I used to have a very strict schedule where, you know, I'd go to the gym between classes, et cetera. And that was how I made sure I had time. That was how I managed my stress. And then with all of that taken away, just like anybody else in, um, quarantine, you know, being confined to your house <laughs> is a little bit, uh, unsettling at first. I mean, obviously for a while. Um, but I've kind of come to look at it as less of a, um, I need to exercise and more of a, I need to give myself like the mental health break to focus on managing um, like illness and other things during the pandemic. Um, so I've kind of dropped down to just trying to go for a walk every day for like an hour, um, trying to find places where I'm going to have limited exposure. Um, so like the local park, but maybe at certain times of the day to walk on the path. Um, and then really um, coming back to this idea of teaching and being a student with chronic illness, but also considering um, like what we're asking ourselves when we're teaching that we also need to take into future um, classrooms is the idea of like what is the most important things um, or important piece of information that my student needs this day um, and kind of transferring that to my general mindset of like um, kind of uncomplicating things or simplifying things a little bit so that I'm not constantly stressing out about my own health situation and also academia um, and kind of coming down to that question of like what's what are the most important ideas the students need to take from this um, and then adjusting my teaching to kind of move some of that um, excess from the teaching like how we're talking about um, you know, keeping in mind the timeframes that we're using for things. So maybe having shorter presentations or shorter face-to-face -face interactions, videos we're making students watch, kind of taking out that excess and focusing on the main issues at hand. And I've been trying to do that with my teaching, but also at home, you know, like what are the main things I need to do to keep myself safe and healthy? Um, you know, what are the, if I don't have to go to the doctor for, you know, X, Y, and Z, maybe I can move my um, appointments around so that I go only when I need to, um, or on days where I think maybe it'll be less crowded. Um, but I think just kind of generally, again, that idea of like putting the students first, you kind of have to do that yourself too, especially, you know, just in general, like this is a big mental health crisis. Um, also just a general health crisis. Um, but in putting yourself first, sometimes in thinking, what uh, amount of energy do I have today? These are all the things I need to get done. I need to make sure I get my walk in and I need to make sure I get to the doctor. Um, but what else can I do with the time that I give myself? Um, and then just trying to focus on getting enough sleep again, which is hard to do with st all the stress. Um, but I think these are things that everyone's dealing with, um, with or without illness, but definitely um, feelings of intensified anxiety over being in a global pandemic with chronic illness is uh, very challenging. Um, and I think being understanding that some people may not want to show up for a small socially distanced event on campus or, you know, are going to pick and choose which events they attend um, based on potential exposure or, you know, how you're feeling um, and understanding that a lot of professors will have to just teach online or instructors or graduate students will have to teach online until, 
um, it's maybe a little, I don't know if safer is the right word, but until, um, you know, being on campus full time is a more realistic aspect to the situation. So sorry, that was kind of a little bit of everything mixed in together, but I think it's just such a multifaceted uh, area to cover. Um, and I think it's definitely something a lot of the um, grad students and instructors are dealing with um, last semester, this semester going forward is trying to navigate all of these things together. Yeah, no, it's very important topics to bring up as we kind of discuss uh, going forward, kind of how to best navigate for us, for the students, uh, for the university as a whole. Um, so thank you so much. This has been um, such a, a, a great and very important conversation to be having this semester. Thank you again for having me. Of course. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, to share an assignment or tool, or to pitch an interview, please contact me at sheila.corsi at slu.edu.